Hey, really glad you're here this morning. Um, we are continuing our series called Naturally Supernatural, as, uh, as Jared said. And uh, this morning we want to talk about uh, walking in kingdom prayer. And so I want you to turn to Luke chapter 13, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 17 this morning. Uh, Victoria uh, was on a mission trip recently, and she told me um, an amazing story about her, about her trip. This past September, she was in Nigeria, and on, uh, she was in a certain city, and as she was speaking in front of a church that was, I guess, packed, she noticed two women in different parts of the church, and she had never met the women, didn't know who they were, what their background was, but she saw one over here, and so one over here, and she had an immediate strong urgency to bring both of them forward and to pray for them at the same time. Now, she could have done it separately, but she felt this intense urge to call the same, these two people up at the same time and pray for them. So she did that. The two came forward. <coughs> she prayed over the two, and the two went back down. And she gave her message, and she thought everything was just fine. And then one of the women came forward, and she said, you couldn't have known this, but, but um, we both had been at odds with, with each other. Uh, one of the women said, um, the other lady that came up, I borrowed some money from her, and I've been having a hard time paying it back. And uh, I've been withdrawing from her and withdrawing from the church. She felt embarrassment and shame that she had not been able to pay back this money. And so after the prayer, the woman who was the creditor went to the woman who was the debtor, and the woman who was the creditor said, that had to have been a divine appointment, that we were both brought up at the same time and both prayed for at the same time, and I'm forgiving you the entirety of the debt. Wow. And so now this woman just felt this tremendous sense of release and felt that God loved her in a way that she had not felt before. But it happened because Victoria was sensitive to the spirit and this woman here and this woman here and bringing them both up at the same time. And what happened is a wonderful example of what often happens in the Christian life <coughs> where we're moved to engage in what I would call kingdom intercessory prayer. And as we conclude our series this morning on Naturally Supernatural, I want to talk about, about how that works and what that's like. And so um, we're going to look at, at these, uh, these verses up on the screen here, but th this is a, a wonderful story about a woman who gets healed in a most unusual way. And so we begin, begin with a story where Jesus is going to heal a very humble woman <coughs> On a Saturday morning, remember Sabbath in the uh, Old Testament times was a Saturday thing, <coughs> and she's healed in a, syn a synagogue uh, on a Saturday morning. So here's how the story begins. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you are freed from your disability. 
Now, I want you to, to kind of visualize what it was like for Jesus to minister on the Sabbath in Galilee. There were synagogues all over the Sea of Galilee. Every little village you went to, there was a, there was a synagogue. And these synagogues were sources of civic pride. And they're also gathering places for the community. You'd be working hard <coughs> all week long on Saturday. You'd go to the synagogue and you'd, you'd see people that you hadn't seen all week. It was a wonderful time to reconnect with people <coughs> on a weekly, on a weekly uh, ba basis. And so because Jesus was a well-known teacher, he was often invited. And on this particular Saturday, he's teaching and the place is packed. And uh, people are jamming every seat. They're hanging on his every word. And in the middle of the sermon, Jesus stops what he's doing. He notices a woman way back in the back. And noticing her, he, he feels compelled to do something. Now, I say that he stopped because you'll notice the word um, and behold. Uh, <clears throat> is it in there? Uh, we, well, actually... It's not in that version. It's in another version. Uh, it's, it, okay, it's there. So that literally means, you know, and suddenly, or, or he saw it. And so he, he's noticing somebody way back in the back who has, <coughs> who has a problem. So I, I sense he might have pointed to her and, and began to call her forward. So if you were in that synagogue and you saw that woman coming forward, what would you have seen? You would have seen a woman bent over double I mean, bent over double. Maybe she's walking with a cane. Maybe she's walking very unsteadily. She's walking forward very, very slowly. I'm not qualified to diagnose what this was, but physicians who have read the gospel of Luke suggested this was a case of ankylosing spondylitis, or AS. AS is an inflammatory arthritis of the spine that, that in time can lead to a bent over posture. And if, th if this was the case, this woman was in great pain, she was suffering with a lot of fatigue, and this would have been inconveniently embarrassing because she can't, she can't work. And the problem is not a new problem. She's had this problem for 18 years, and apparently it's been getting worse. And there's something else that we discover about it that we wouldn't ordinarily know. She had a disabling spirit. For nearly 20 years, a loathsome evil spirit had been infesting her, hassling her, and energizing her sickness. Now, obviously, not every sickness is based upon an evil spirit. That's not the case. But sometimes that is the case. Um, you know, I would say that whenever somebody is sick or when you're sick, you wouldn't automatically assume it's an evil spirit. You should go to the doctor. You should, you should get tests. You should find out what the medical diagnosis is. However, one of the things... Um, that I'm sure we can all agree on is that sometimes physical illnesses are not simply physical in nature. According to a recent article in the Western Journal of Medicine, a significant percentage of people with chronic disease also have a psychiatric disorder. In other words, there, there was a clear physical diagnosis, but there's, there are also emotional components that energize that physical diagnosis. Couldn't that also be the true from time to time with sp a spiritual root problem. That's why a lot of physicians in Africa are always asking about what they've been doing, dabbling in other religions. And in this case here, Luke tells us uh, 
that there was a spiritual component to her physical disease. Now, back to the story. Jesus is teaching. His eyes lock on this woman. I sense the Holy Spirit moved him to call her forward, and he prompts Jesus to be supernaturally aware and single her out. Now, let me, let me pause for a second and remind you about something that I said a couple of weeks ago when I described the, the habit of prophecy. What I said was that the discipline of prophecy is the ability to be receptive about an impression from God, and then having been receptive about that impression, you feel motivated to do something. Maybe you pray, maybe you act in faith, maybe you do something. Jesus is acting in that sort of capacity, noticing, sensing the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and then beginning to act. That's what Victoria did when she saw these two women and sensed the leadership of the Spirit. She felt motivated to be aware and then to act upon that awareness. Now, Jesus can do this automatically because he's the Son of God. We have to learn how to do it. But the way we learn how to do it is by is by reading the word, being sensitive to how the Spirit may be speaking to us, <coughs> and then acting on how we sense the Spirit moving in our life. Amen. Again, back to the story. Jesus interrupts his teaching. He calls her forward. And as you can imagine, as this woman is coming forward, there were people who are rolling their eyes in contempt. Why? Because... Uh, Men and women were separated in these synagogues. Women were second-class citizens. And here is this very famous, very gifted teacher pausing in his message to notice a woman who is in pain. That sounds right to us, but back in the first century, ah, that, was, that, was not, that was not great. People were thinking, oh, what, what does he want with her? What is it? Yeah, it still does, still does. So facing the woman, Jesus utters seven words that are going to change your life. He says, woman, you are freed from your disability. You are freed from your disability. term woman might sound a little bit harsh, but that was actually a term of respect in the ancient world. Remember, Jesus called his mom woman in John chapter chapter 2 and and verse 4. He's being kind to her in the midst of a room where people were probably being manifestly unkind to her. Jesus kindly lays his hands on her shoulders that are bent over and stooped, and immediately she's instantly healed. She stands upright, and what's her response right now? Jesus, thank you. And I'm sure she continues to say it. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. This is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you did. Now, so far, the point of the story is that Jesus notices people, he senses their need, and he he acts, and his action produces breakthrough. Now the ruler of the synagogue pipes up, and the ruler of the synagogue is indignant. The ruler of the synagogue (coughs) was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and he said to the people, look, There are six days in which work ought to be done. You come on those days and be healed, but not on the Sabbath day. Wow, talk about a shift in mood. 
Here a miracle has taken place. The woman is exultant. And this controlling ruler of the synagogue gets up and points his finger at the people, chastising them for what happened. Uh, what this guy said is, is amazing. Now, I want you to notice what did not happen. He didn't rejoice with the woman. Like, that's what I would have done. I'd have rejoiced with her. I, I, would, have, I would have said, this is a miracle. This is amazing. This is so great. We're going to rejoice with you. Um, I think the whole synagogue would, could have been moved to a whole new level <coughs> of joy and worship and compassion. He didn't rejoice with the woman. Nor did the ruler thank Jesus. That's what I would have done too. I would have said, Jesus, this is amazing. Thank you so much for what you did. I'm sure if I had been there, I would, have, I would have known that woman. I would have prayed for her before. I would have appreciated the fact that he had done that for a member of my congregation. I would have said, Jesus, can you come back tonight and tomorrow night and the night after and the night after? Because we got people all over this area who are struggling with, with physical illness and mental illness. And, and I, I want you to come back and heal all of them. I would have been motivated to do that. The ruler of the synagogue apparently is not in a thankful mood toward Jesus. The other thing he didn't do is he didn't inter interpret the miracle in light of the scriptures. Now, I want you to check out Isaiah chapter 35, 5 and 6. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Now, I promise you, the ruler of the synagogue knew, that, knew those sets of scriptures. And here's a group of people who have been healed of various things. <coughs> and these people are singing for joy. And the ruler of the synagogue could have said, guys, this is like Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, where people are encountering the power of God and they're worshiping in light of that transformative power. The guy didn't do that. It's like this guy is massively spiritually insensitive. Why is that? Well, the reason why he's most more focused on <coughs> religion than he is on reality, Amen. on rules rather than relationship, on the institution rather than the individual. He'd rather have control rather than having Christ. And amazingly, it seems like the guy even believes in healing. Like, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed. He's not saying healing does not work. He's just, <coughs> he's just saying, don't do it on the Sabbath. He wants to, he wants to control. And so we have a guy who amazingly is loving control more than loving Christ. Now, <coughs> I have to say there's a lot of people like this guy. There are many, many genuine followers of Christ who are very skeptical about anything having to do with the supernatural. There are people who love their control. They love making sure things are fitting in the exact right place in the right order. And they're quick to shut down things that may get out of control. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible is all about a certain measure of control when the body of Christ gathers. That's what 1 Corinthians 14 is all about. However, in this case, the guy would rather have control than having Jesus. And so Jesus seizes on this teaching moment and he confronts them. You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger <coughs> and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond? 
on the Sabbath day. What a brilliant <coughs> illustration. Animals are tied in their stalls. This woman was bound up by a demonic spirit. We untie the animals in their stalls. Why can't we untie and unbind this woman <coughs> who's been bound up <coughs> with a hassling and evil spirit? When Jesus said this, uh, the adversaries in that room were put to shame. And it was not the shame that leads toward repentance, but the shame of knowing that they're wrong, still holding to their error and being mad at Jesus for being the one to point it out. And if you were there on that Sabbath, you would have seen the ruler of the synagogue seething in anger. You would have seen the very sedate rulers seething in frustration that Jesus had interrupted their Sabbath. And if you could have been there, the tension would be so thick you could cut it with a knife. So here's what Jesus does, and this is really cool. Jesus now interprets this in light of God's kingdom because what, what just happened to the woman is an example of the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come. That's a, that's a prayer. Lord, break, let your kingdom power break through right here, right now. And so Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? They had just encountered the kingdom of God in the healing of the woman. What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in the garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. He continues. Again, he said, what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until the whole thing was leavened. So when Jesus talks about kingdom here, let me remind you about what he's talking about. A simple definition of kingdom is it's the manifestation of God's ruling presence, both now and later. We know the kingdom is going to come later because Jesus teaches extensively about the kingdom. It's coming. And when it comes, it's going to be glorious and big and bright and beautiful, and it's going to be amazing. But Jesus' kingdom is also now. And Jesus' kingdom now is the manifestation of his ruling presence. That manifestation of his ruling presence happened in the synagogue. <clears throat> and sometimes the manifestation of his ruling presence happens in your life when God shows up and there is a kingdom breakthrough in the moment, and you said, that, that was God. You know, when Victoria is praying over these, these two women and the creditor forgives the debtor, that was a, an example of God's kingdom breakthrough happening in the moment. It takes spiritual eyes sometimes to notice when that happens, but it happens a lot. And Jesus is talking about how the ruling presence of God comes into the world. Is it going to come into a massive media blitz? No. Is it going to come through a marketing campaign? No. Nope. Did it come through an army marching through the land and announcing the kingdom? No. Nope. No, when Jesus uses these two illustrations, what he's saying, it's going to come quietly, humbly, slowly, imperceptibly, but pretty soon it's going to get big. And so he uses the first illustration of the mustard seed. There's a mustard seed. Some of you uh, have those in your spice rack. You've got mustard seeds in your spice rack. Those are pretty small, right? But the mustard seed produces a pretty big tree. There's a 
mustard tree. And uh, those were all over the place in ancient Israel. And it gives shade to the people who were below, and it gives support to the birds of the air. Now, the reason why he talks about the birds of the air is because in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, the tree supporting birds is a picture of the tree supporting a vibrant rule. So the idea is the kingdom is going is to grow and start very small, but it's going to grow slowly, and pretty soon it's going to support a vibrant, spreading, growing rule. That's how the kingdom of God grows. It starts with a bent-over woman in a synagogue who is viewed with contempt. It starts with her standing bolt upright and saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you did. It starts slow. It starts humble. One person is healed over here. One person is healed over there. One person finds healing from addiction. That impacts their daughter. That daughter's now transformation impacts her best friend. That best friend's transformation impacts, years later, her daughter. And now we have the slow and steady growth of the kingdom because the kingdom broke through in one person's life in a very humble way. You know, the Jesus movement began 2,000 years ago, and man, it was hanging by a thread, right? Hanging by a thread, and, and humanly speaking because Jesus was crucified and the disciples were AWOL, hanging by a thread. 2,000 years later, there are 194 nations around planet Earth. And in every one of those nations, there is an expression of the body of Christ. In every major city in those nations, there are people who are strategizing to reach their nation for Christ 2,000 years later. The kingdom started slow and it spread. And now there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a rule. Now, <coughs> he uses an even smaller illustration. If you think a mustard seed is small, a grain of yeast is even smaller. There is a, there's a bunch of yeast in a bowl. And yeast gets incorporated <coughs> into the dough. And what happens with the dough? Well, you know, uh, how many of you have ever used quick-rise yeast? Why do you use that? You hate to wait, right? Like, it's not called slow-rise slow yeast, but I mean, okay, if there's quick-rise, I guess this is slow-rise, and I don't use slow-rise, so I use quick-rise. But what, what happens with yeast? When you first put it into the bread, you know, the bread, like, rise, come on, what, what's wrong with you? Rise. And it, it doesn't rise instantly or at your command. Amen. That yeast has got to get in there, produce its, what is it, CO2 or whatever it produces to build those, those little holes in there. And pretty soon after two or three hours, <coughs> the thing begins to rise and now it in, impacts the, the whole dough. And the same thing happens with the kingdom of God. What happens is that you get transformed and you transform a friend. A friend gets transformed and she transforms her friend. It's the principle of multiplication. As you encounter the supernatural power of God and share your story, now you have a growing sense about the kingdom breakthrough happening. And 
eventually families are transformed, kids are transformed, children are transformed, people in your office are transformed, there's generational transformation, and it's the growth of the kingdom. But it begins with one person encountering transformation. Now, with that idea in mind, let's, let's go to the core idea. The core idea about this story is about the dynamics of kingdom-based intercessory prayer. Let me, let me define what that is. Kingdom intercessory prayer is a type of prayer in which you pray that God's kingdom rule might break into a person's life. That's what Jesus was doing. Woman comes forward. <coughs> she's bent over. He prays over her. There is a wonderful miracle that takes place. God's kingdom broke through. So you take line three of the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, and you pray that on behalf of somebody else. Your kingdom come, Lord. Lord, let your kingdom break through in this person's life. And that is designed, hopefully, as you do this as a discipline, to set people free one humble person at a time. That's kingdom intercessory prayer. And um, <clears throat> I believe that God often leads us <coughs> to pray these prayers as we are out and about during our day, meeting with people, doing various different things. We have this sense of God moving us in, in a direction. I go back to Victoria. Victoria standing in Nigeria <coughs> in a church. She sees two women. She feels an urgency from the Spirit to pray in a certain way. Let me take you back to November 3rd of this year. On November 3rd, we had a, a service here at Grace where I said, look, we, our prayer team is going to be at either side of the auditorium. And if you need a blessing from God, go to the prayer team and just ask them to give you a blessing. Don't tell them what blessing you need. Just say, yes, I want a blessing. Hold your hands out. They'll put their hands on yours and you can, they, they, will, they will bless you in, in, in Christ's name. As believer priests, we can do this. So some people uh, came back to me and said, it was astonishing because I didn't tell the prayer team what I needed prayer over, but it was like they knew. And so something that I just had a deep need about, the person who was praying for me discerned what that need was, prayed into that need, and I felt like God loved me through the person of the prayer team who was praying intelligently about my situation. That's kingdom-based intercessory prayer. Amen. And you can grow in that discipline. But we need to be watchful for those things that, that hinder that. Go back to the story. The ruler of the synagogue, he, he knew the prophecies about the Messiah. He knew the Messiah would be a healer and a miracle worker. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thanks, Billy. Appreciate that. <clears throat> that helps. But this ruler of the synagogue got blinded by organized religion. He shut it down. And I think there's, there's at least three common objections that we have to the supernatural, three enemies of kingdom-based intercessory prayer. First enemy is this. You're simply not aware of the Bible's supernatural worldview. Again, I know a lot of people who are followers of Jesus who, who look at the supernatural worldview of the Bible and they say, well, that was then and this is now, and I don't know that this really happens. And I, I really think it's important for us to repent of those, those feelings. I will tell you that the rest of the world in the developing world 
are, are flowing into this supernatural worldview because they, they read it in the scriptures. They see it in parts of Africa, China, India, South America. They see that and they, and they see, I mean, I have got to use the right supernatural in order to live the kind of life God wants me to live in my culture. Here's a second enemy. Second enemy is this, because you haven't seen it, you don't have the confidence to pray into it. And I know a lot of people who are in this situation, well, I, I haven't really seen God, <coughs> God do something dramatic, so I'm not going to pray into it. And here's my answer to that. My answer is that you start with the mustard seed prayer. Somebody comes to you and they're encountering discouragement. Pray over their discouragement. Amen. They're encountering anxiety. Pray over that anxiety. They're encountering a block in their career. Pray over the block in their career. And then as God begins to answer more and more of those prayers, you become bolder and bolder about praying into what God can do in the supernatural. Here's a third, <coughs> a third enemy. Third enemy is you've seen abuses in healing prayer, and therefore you don't even want to go there. I can really resonate with that one. Uh, this past week, uh, not week, but this past um, summer, I read the book by Kosti Hinn. He's the nephew of Benny Hinn. And he wrote a book called God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel. He describes what it was like growing up in the Hinn family and how he saw the abuses in the healing prayer movement up front and very close, very personal. And he said, I came out of that, but he said, here's the deal. I am more firmly committed to the supernatural and to healing prayer than I ever have been before. I just want it to be real. I don't, I don't want it to be, to be hyped up and institutionalized. And so uh, he writes a, a very, very interesting memoir, but again, totally committed to God being supernaturally involved just, just the right way, just the right way. And so those are some, some enemies that I think are, are really important for us to be, to, be, uh, to be aware of. In kingdom intercessory prayer, we are asking God to break through in this situation manifest his kingdom power so that there's a, a breakthrough. And with that in mind, <coughs> let's look at some, at some takeaways. Um, hmm. Well, just stopped working, but that's, that, that's okay. Here are the takeaways. Takeaway number one. Takeaway number one is this. As you are out in the community, become spiritually aware. Remember the word behold, Jesus was spiritually aware. So be spiritually aware uh, be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit and cultivate that sense of awareness. Remember, I've talked about this kind of awareness being thinking about your thinking. What am I noticing now? What am I thinking now? I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but I've walked into certain places and I, I immediately notice a spiritual atmosphere. Am, am I right about noticing that? I, I got to pause. Lord, I'm, I'm noticing something. I, I don't know what I'm noticing. Give me information about this. You notice something. Be aware as you're out in the community. And if you uh, sense that there's something that you need to pray about, do that. One of the ways that I facilitate my awareness is by being a conduit of God's common grace. God's common grace is a wonderful idea. It's the idea that God gives rain to everybody, 
around the world, good or evil, they might be bad, they might be good. God gives rain, he gives sunshine, he gives beauty to everybody around the world. As a conduit of common grace, you can give grace to people. Amen. You can hold the door open for people. You can smile at people. You can say nice things to them. God's common grace is your gift to give to people because as you give them that gift, you open up doors that may have been closed. That leads to a second takeaway. If you're out in the community, periodically offer prayer. Now, I know that sounds really awkward and weird, but I will tell you that the more I talk to people, the more I notice that this is a thing in our culture that at least right now is acceptable. I've talked to people who've done this. They've seen people in, in Walmart. <coughs> you can do this in a very insensitive way, but they've done it in a sensitive way where they said... <coughs> You know, I've, I've noticed this. Can I, can, I, can I pray quickly about this for you? Um, you've got this power in prayer that you can use anytime, anywhere, as a believer priest, and it's, it, it is truly transformative for people. Yes, Here's my caveat. Make it quick. Okay. Don't go on for <laughs> 4, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Cindy and I were in Washington, D.C., and we were going from office to office giving congressmen a gift book and women a gift book and asking if there was something we could pray about for their district. It was really fun. Now, we didn't actually get in to see many congressmen. We got in to see Jim Bridenstine, which was, which was really fun. But we went into one office, and um, we got talking about recovery. And there were some common grounds. And he talked about starting Celebrate Recovery. And we said, can we pray a quick prayer for what you're doing? Now, I was really conscious of the fact I had moments to pray this prayer before I would lose their attention. But it was, it was a, a connection right there in the Cannon office building in Washington, D.C., in Congress. Just be really sensitive to the moment and, and don't, don't overdo the prayer. Third takeaway, if you're among friends and family, grow in your ability to engage in healing prayer. <clears throat> Jesus commissioned you to this, Luke 10. He says, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Look, that assignment is still operative. The 70 represent the church. And so as you engage in the discipline of healing prayer among friends and family, I think it's, it's really good to often just say, hey, can I pray about that right now? Would it be okay if I laid my hand on your shoulder? Uh, if, if, you, if you tend to do this and you have oil, you say, can I, can I just briefly put a little drop of oil and, and pray over you? Make that a habit. It's a wonderful habit to establish if you've got children or grandchildren or nieces or nephews to say, hey, can we, can we pray about that right now? Because you can, you can disciple a child to, to come to expect that God is going to intervene in his or her situation. Amen. And a final takeaway, if God does intervene in a dramatic way, you've got a story to tell and please tell the story. I know a lot of people who have a dramatic intervention and they go, well, but, but I mean, that could have been, that could have been coincidence, right? Stop doing that. Because 
the evil one would love to have you say, yeah, that was a coincidence. Wait, if God engineers a dramatic breakthrough, see it as a dramatic breakthrough, and then talk about it. Amen. And sometimes I see people who are reticent to talk about it because they think, well, you know, I, I don't want to call attention to myself, or maybe there's another explanation for that. No, it's really important for you to talk about answered prayer and the especially the, dr the dramatic interventions that God engineers in your life. And then as you do that, please let me know, let, let Jared know, let Mike know, let one, somebody on our staff know, because we would love to have you tell that story somewhere at Grace. People need to be hearing stories of God's transforming presence in your life so that we know how to trust God in fresh and new ways. When somebody experiences dramatic breakthrough and it's, it's really amazing in their life and you need that same category of dramatic breakthrough, their story is going to help you trust God for that same kind of breakthrough. Amen. Kingdom intercessory prayer is your right as a believer priest. God has given that to you. Let's, let's move into that and do it skillfully. Do it consistently and do it well. Let's stand for our closing prayer.